I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, January 25th, 2020, and this is episode 52 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is I got my arcs for Cry of Metal and Bone. It is book three of the Earthsinger Chronicles, and when I got back from my drive back from um, Virginia last week, I had a box of books. Um, So this is super exciting. Cry of Metal and Bone comes out in August. August 11th is the date. And um, yeah, it is the first new book that has never been published before in this series. And some people have been waiting for many, many years, and I feel so bad about that. But um, I do love this book. I I haven't. <laughs> I'm tempted to read it again. I actually have to read parts of book two again for um, what I'm writing now. Even though I just read book two recently, I don't know. I am really excited about this. I really do love it. I'm just gonna like stare at it for a while and in awe. So I will be doing some giveaways of the arcs over the coming months, and I'm going to do a special podcast giveaway. So um, sometime pretty soon, probably within the next month, because March is the one year anniversary of this podcast. And um, that's probably a good time to do something special. In other news, I saw a couple of movies over the past week. We saw Bad Boys for Life, which was a lot better than I thought it would be because it was not directed by Michael Bay, as I discovered. It was actually a cohesive movie with a plot and characters and some over-the-top action, but not so much that it made my head hurt. So that was always nice to see. And then we went to see The Gentleman, um, Guy Ritchie's new movie, which I also enjoyed. I like Guy Ritchie's irreverent sort of machismo movies that are always kind of the same, but... um, and this one is definitely kind of the same, but it was still fun. It wasn't, uh, it had a little bit of twistiness, but you kind of are, you knew where it was going and, and knew what was happening. But um, yeah, I I like Guy Ritchie movies. For some reason, my husband does not. And I was surprised. I was like, why did you go to see this movie? And he was like, oh, I don't even know why. He doesn't actually like British accents, which I find odd. Uh, but yeah. So he wanted to see, that's what it was. He wanted to see this movie because there were Americans in it, because Matthew McConaughey was in it. And uh, he knew that there would there would be a break in the Britishness of it all. So, but yeah, it was fun. I mean, I think it's, I think Guy Ritchie's going to get, probably has already gotten a lot of flack for some of the choices he made. And, uh, but like I said, the irreverent sort of hyper macho-ness of it is what you're getting from those movies. And so if that's not a thing that you're going to like, then don't go see it. <laughs> I am currently um, listening to the audiobook of, what is it called? Of the Obelisk Gate by N.K. Jemison. So it's the second book in the Broken Earth trilogy after the fifth season. And I downloaded that for my drive down to Williamsburg, which is anywhere from three to five hours, depending on traffic. Luckily for me, I didn't get any traffic going back or forth. It was the most amazing thing because everybody was like agog when I told them I hadn't hit any traffic on Friday morning. 
but it, it's not beach season. So, you know, people going to Virginia Beach, that's the wrap. So in the summertime, that drive can take a very long time. We moved, actually, that wasn't even summertime. When we moved back here from Norfolk, Virginia, I don't know if I've told this story before. Sterling, we, we had our cat Sterling and um, we had Sable at the time. So just two. And we had sold our house really quickly and we needed a place to stay for six weeks. So we stayed in this temporary apartment for six weeks with our cat. And we had, um, our dog was staying with my father-in-law. So the day that we had to leave, that we were packing up and moving out of this apartment, Sterling disappeared. It was a one bedroom, one bath apartment. It wasn't, I mean, there were very few, there were places he liked to hide. Like he liked to be at that time on top of the cabinets and behind the washing machine. Checked all of those places. We thought that he had gotten out while we were, we had the, the, the door open. So because, because we were moving, you know, uh, boxes and bags and things. So we searched the whole building. We contacted maintenance. We went outside and Sterling is a particular kind of cat. He does not come when, when you call him and he hunkers down even more. So we spent a few hours searching for him and we had to leave. So we were like, we're going to put up flyers. We're going to just, I contacted all my friends about, I lost my cat on the day that we were moving out of state. So it was an executive rental and I guess they don't turn over very quickly. We had been in our new house for 10 days before the anyone went into that apartment again. And the cleaning person went into the apartment and there was Sterling. He had been there for 10 days. Fortunately, the toilet had been left open. So he was drinking toilet water. He had not eaten anything. He had pooped on the bed. We had already paid the pet deposit when we had first moved in with him. So any damage he caused was already covered. He was skinny, but he was fine. And so my husband went down from Baltimore to Norfolk and picked him up and came back in the same day. Now, like I said, that trip from Baltimore, I would expect it to take four hours to Norfolk. It took him eight hours to get there. And this must have been November of 2012. Eight hours to get there, shorter to get back, thank goodness. But, um, and in the meantime, the cleaning person turned on the Animal Planet channel for Sterling to watch while he was waiting for him for his pickup. So, um, and of course, Sterling complained the whole ride back. He meowed and cried and was very upset with us uh, for a good day or two. Um, and yeah, that's that's the story of how we lost our cat in an apartment, in a one-bedroom apartment. So the drive, which was the point of the story, the drive can take a long time. Not having any traffic last weekend was wonderful. Long drawn out way of saying that. Anyway, what was I even talking about? This is going to be one of those days, unfortunately. So I downloaded an audiobook to listen to on my drive down. That is what I was talking about. And yes, it's wonderful. Of course, it's just very dense and it's going to take me a while to get through this audiobook, but I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, I'm even considering rereading portions of the first one because she doesn't do any recapping. It picks up right where the last one left off and you just have to go with it. There is some, like a, a tiny bit of internal recapping that is very nicely hidden, I guess, but it's not quite enough. And so it's been, I don't know, a good six months since I read the first one. And there's a couple of things that I do not remember. There are a couple of things that have come back to me as I've been listening to this. 
but there was an article in the New Yorker magazine um, that I saw a post about that was an interview with N.K. Jemison, and I will link to it in the show notes. It kind of elucidated some things. It was a little spoilery if you haven't read it, at least if you haven't read the first one. And there was a little spoiler, tiny, tiny spoiler about book two that I was like, oh, okay. But there's portions of the fifth season and I'm assuming all of the trilogy that is written in second person, which is a very unusual point of view um, to write from. And it worked really well for me. Like I got why she did it. And she explains in this article that um, she wrote it in the second person. She says, I tried her voice in different forms. I couldn't get too close to her. She was angry with me in the dream. She had a dream about this character. She was angry with me in the dream. She's not going to talk to me. It was interesting that in the first book, you notice that the narrator has a personality. And in this article, the tiny spoiler, which is that uh, the second person, the person saying you are doing this, is a narrative that will be revealed in the second book. And I've gotten to the point where it's been revealed. And once I read that, I was like, oh, it makes sense that, that this narrator is a character who is in the book. I hadn't really thought about that in terms of this book. All of this is was you know really top of mind because um, as I'm working on book four of Earthsinger Chronicles, which I can tell you the title of now because I announced it in an interview that I did recently. Um, shout out to Kenya Gory Bell slash Karis Bell. Um, so the title of book four of Earthsinger Chronicles is Requiem of Silence, and that will be out sometime in 2021. But and I'm working on it right now. I don't want to spoil it, but there is a character who has a small POV that I'm work that I'm writing right now from the second person. Not because the character was angry at me, but because I didn't want to get too close to this character. So it's like a similar idea. Um, I agonized about whether to include this person's POV. I did not want to write from them. And I didn't want to be inside their head. And so then I was like, well, if I do second person, it's only peppered through the book. So it's not an inordinate amount of second person because that can be very difficult to read. And a lot of people don't like it. It's good, and I will be off put by it. But it allowed me to detach myself from them and also, you know, still tell their perspective, still give that aspect of the story that no one else in the book would know and that I think is important for this book. And then it was like, well, who is telling the story? That was one of the biggest takeaways um, that I brought home from the workshop that I did with Juno Diaz. You know, who is telling the story? And he was talking to me specifically about um, a first-person narrator and some issues that I was having with POV then, but broader. And I was like, oh, and then I figured out who would be talking to this character, who would know, even if I don't reveal it in the book, which... I don't know if I will or not yet. I don't know that that makes any sense. Maybe it will. By the time I get to the end, I might have come to a, a different decision about this. But um, as a writer, like regardless of, of the perspective, whether it's third person, first or second, know who's telling the story and who they're talking to. And that's just something that I always have to remind myself of. And so seeing her talk about that in this article was, you know, just really interesting and kind of just drove home some similar ideas that I'd been having about this choice. I, I do play around a little bit with different POVs in the series. Um, 
specifically in, in Song of Blood and Stone, the queen who sleeps is always in first person. Everybody else is third person, uh, limited, but close. I forget what they call that. And so now I'm, ex- I'm doing something like a small section in second person. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll try it. And like, when I first started writing it, I was like, I'll try it and it might not work. And I can always change it to first person or I guess back to third. I mean, changing POVs is not trivial though, but it's maybe it'll end up being 20, 30,000 words out of the book. So it's possible, um, but I do really like it. We'll see whether anyone else has anything to say about it or not. But I think my logic is sound. I think when you do something like that, that is going to be potentially polarizing to the audience. You have to have a very sound reason for it. And I got over my distaste for being in this person's head by using this technique. And once I figured out who was telling the story and why, then it all sort of coalesced and it became like the decision. So that if someone actually asks me to change it, I will probably push back because it feels right to me, you know. There's another quote in this article by Octavia Butler, um, who was referenced, just saying how when she started writing science fiction, she wasn't in the stuff that she read and that she wrote herself in. And immediately when I read the words, I wrote myself in, I think of Hamilton and I wrote my way out. (laughs) So somehow there's a connection in my mind between those two things because Writing yourself in and writing your way out are kind of two sides of the same coin. I was thinking earlier about, there's this meme um, from this song that made me think about how the terms um, here I go and here I come mean the same thing, even though go and come are opposite words. But like, oh, here I go, here I come. Like, those are equivalent statements. And um, while I wrote myself in, and I wrote my way out are not the same. They just linked together in my head. I think of writing your way out of, like in Hamilton's case, well, he wrote himself into trouble, (laughs) but he wrote his way out of poverty, obscurity, um, all of these other things, and wrote himself into history by writing himself, by writing his way out. I told you it was one of those days. It's one of these podcasts where I'm just going to talk in circles all day, and I apologize. Other cool things that happened. I went to this um, event at the ABA, the American Booksellers Association Convention, which was in Baltimore. And I had been invited by author – I had been alerted to this event by author Mona Shroff, who has a debut coming out. I think it comes out this week, and I will link to that to find the title of it. But she is one of my chapter mates in uh, Maryland Romance Writers. So anyway, uh, it was an event for booksellers and it was a romance author's mixer. And I had to get my publisher to send some books because they were giving free books to these booksellers who were going to come and talk about romance. And um, so it was it was wonderful. I drove up to Baltimore and uh, there I think there were six authors there and at least 100 booksellers. The room was packed. It was kind of crazy, but amazing. It was a great experience because people, like book people, talking about books and getting free books, like that's kind of the ideal situation. (laughs) I met so many booksellers. I met a lot of local booksellers that I didn't even know about all of these um, 
bookstores. Like I, I don't, I do know about some of the indie bookstores in the area, but there were way more than I even knew existed. So hopefully I will be doing some more bookstore events in the Maryland, DC, Virginia area coming up this year. Um, and even just talking to people with stores all over the country about how they love genre, about how more indie bookstores are stocking romance, when for a long time they would not. And that was always good to hear. I heard from people who loved the idea of, of the mixing of fantasy and romance and um, were really excited about that. And so all of that, very, very cool. It was a great experience. Writing update. So things are going well overall. I I was ahead of schedule where I'd wanted to be. And then some things took some time. And of course, I didn't write as much at the conference last weekend as I'd wanted to. I did write, though. I made sure to write while I was there. But a couple of factors caused me to slip a little bit behind. I'm going to try to catch up this weekend and get through this one POV. So I'm in Act 2, Part 1 of the book. And um, I'm doing all the POVs separately up until the midpoint. And then I'm going to regroup. And I'm hoping to get to the midpoint by Monday. My schedule, I think, said Sunday. But we'll let it fudge a day or two either way. And I won't be too upset about that. Um, I had this whole thing, though, this week where I was like, oh, my goodness, these character motivations are all over the place. And I had to take a step back just for a day go back to my worksheets. I filled out a couple new worksheets on One Stop for Writers. I did a character arc progression worksheet just to to remind myself of, you know, where where I want these characters to go. Because what's on paper is not what's in the book. And I was I was worried about that. So I went back and I reread this entire POV from the beginning. And it's actually fine. Like it feels a little shaky in my head, but when I read it on the page, it's coming through okay. So I think subconsciously things are going the way they're supposed to go, even if they're not quite conforming to the character arc progression that I had intended. And I, I do have to let stuff like that go. Like I'm not going to force them into these things and ways of feeling. Um, I had set it up initially, and doing the worksheet allows me to refresh myself on it. So it's in a much better place than I thought it was in my head when I actually read it, which is good. So yeah, hoping to catch up this weekend, get these scenes done. I've got several to revise. I did all the fast drafting of these new scenes this week, and now it's just going back and cleaning them up and making them good, which is my favorite part, but it's also time intensive and like creatively exhausting. So like I if I even if I plan to do like these two marathon days of writing, I might not be able to. But we'll see what happens. Also excited about a new anthology that I'm going to be in. Uh I'll be able to talk a little bit more about it later, but it will have the third novella for Arsica Chronicles in this anthology and come out later in the year. Uh the second novella, Hush of Storm and Sorrow, I still have not gone back and looked at the copy edits yet. I will have to, I still have to pick a release date. All I know is it's going to be March. I think I actually have put a date somewhere on some calendar, but I, I have a couple of different like project management calendars that I use. So I'll just find the date and actually do a pre-order. It's fine. I mean, I'm happy with the book and 
my you know initial readers have been really happy with the book. There are some tweaks I need to make. It's just pure inertia that is keeping me from actually choosing a date and doing a pre-order and uploading or whatever you have to do to do the pre-order. I haven't done a pre-order in like three, four years, so I have no idea. But um, yeah, it's this weird inertia for marketing. And I know I have to get over it because that's part of the gig, right? Um, but I just feel like all of my, all of my authorial energy is on finishing book four. And so splitting it can be difficult. I think it's just a scheduling issue. Everything comes down to a scheduling issue for me. I have to schedule time to do it and then I have to take the time and do it, which I haven't yet, but I need to. So yes, um, there are a couple other cool things that I saw that I'm just going to include in the newsletter, the footnotes newsletter. So some interesting quotes and a really very well done critique by an author named Alyssa Valdez Rodriguez, who has an article. Um, Here's what would happen if Stephen King were treated like a Latina writer. And I saw it posted on Twitter and I thought that it was very well done and um, like a satire, a satirical take on how authors of color are treated and the kinds of interactions that happen. I mean, it's it's a heightened satirical view, but there's a lot of truth in it. I just thought it was a great, a great read. Very insightful. So that's it for me for this week. I hope that you have a wonderful week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're a visual learner, watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really love a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs>